What a slick operation we run in this church. Good. If you are a guest this morning, yeah, I'm sorry, this is normal. Um, Great. It's lovely to see you. This morning, we are continuing our sermon series, Travelling Through the Book of the Acts of the Apostles, the story of the early church, how the disciples who followed Jesus after his death and his resurrection and his sending them out kind of bumbled along, following the orders of God and spreading what we now call the church, the people of God, the body of Christ. It's a brilliant story. If you're joining us this morning and haven't read it, I commend it to you. It's brilliant. Go and look at the Acts of the Apostles in the Bible. We'll be picking up this morning the story at Acts chapter 5, starting from verse 17. We'll overlap just a little bit with the passage that Zach brought us when he spoke so excellently, I thought, last week. Whilst you're finding your place in your own Bibles, and for those of you without one, uh, it will appear up on the screen, you may remember Zach stopped his talk halfway through to ask if anybody had been healed of a headache during worship. He just felt a prompt of the Lord to say, I I just feel like headaches, healing, has this happened to anyone? And uh, no one answered. I love that Zach took that risk, even though he might have ended up looking silly. And I think that Jesus loves that risk too. As it happened, no one, looked, uh, no one put their hand up. But do you know what? Nobody died. Now, Gregor, I just want to invite you up. I believe you had an interesting conversation after the service. Could I just ask you, uh, what happened? So I'd gone down to get coffee and was halfway between the coffee window and the table with the milk on it when uh, I walked past Maddie and she started talking, so I figured I should probably stop and listen. (laughs) Do you you know Maddie well, just for context? She's my girlfriend. (laughs) You're doing well, Maddie. (laughs) So um, she said, I didn't have a headache earlier, but I do now. (laughs) So... More out of habit than anything else, because I've been constantly told, you know, we should pray about everything and trust God with everything. I kind of put a hand on her shoulder and said, God, can you heal this headache? And then walked on to go and get milk. (laughs) And behind me, Maddie starts laughing, which I figured was probably just because I was being ridiculous. But she was still laughing when I came back. And it turns out her headache had just disappeared. Now, that's, that's, a, that's a good story. I enjoyed the story. But aren't you some sort of super Christian? Aren't you magic? And if we squint, could we not see the glow? I can't squint it myself, so I don't know. Fair, fair. But I don't think so. Good. I don't think so. Okay. So, would you say then that you're some super holy, different to all of these people here person, that when you pray for people, they get healed, but that wouldn't happen for anyone else in the room? No. It's the right answer. Sit down. <laughs> Good. Thank you, mate. Thank you so much. For his God-loving risk-taking and his sharing the story, I'm deeply grateful to Gregor. Go and ask him later uh, for even more details about his fantastic relationship with God. Um, This is a story of God bringing healing to someone that is seven days old exactly and happened right here. God is at work in East Fife, in 2019. Last week, Zach told us the story of how many signs and wonders were regularly done 
among the people by the, by the hands of the apostles. That's Acts chapter 5, verse 12. We're not going there this week. So that attracted the attention of the religious authorities. Today we're going to look at the conflict that came next and what God can teach us through his word today. Kate is going to very kindly read the passage for us. And as I said, it will appear on the screen behind you as well. Thank you, Kate. Um, But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is, the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now, when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council and all the senate of the people of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison, so they returned and reported, We found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now, when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And someone came and told them, Look! The men whom you put in the prison were standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in his name, and yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council called Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, Men of Israel, take care of what you're about to do with these men. For before these days, Theodos rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple, from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Jesus is the Christ. Thank you so much, mate. That's a massively long passage, done brilliantly. We take our orders from Jesus. If you're a Christian, if you're someone who has met God, realized who he is, invited him into your life, turned away from those things that try to pull us away from God, then you'll know what a difference it makes for Jesus to be in charge of your life. There may actually be some of us who need a review this morning of whether Jesus is still in charge or whether we've tried to sneak back any bits of our life, actually. 
If you don't have that relationship with God, if you've not made that decision to live with Jesus in charge of your life, then not only do I want to make really clear how warmly welcome you are here this morning, but also, uh, you get an extra donut, but also, I want to give you a hint. This Jesus guy, he's worth taking a risk on. As Jesus' people, as people who've not only pledged allegiance to him and decided to wear his name and call ourselves Christians, but who've experienced him coming to live within us, we recognize that he is kind, he's loving, and he knows way better than we do. It makes sense, and it's wonderful news for the world around us that we take our orders from Jesus. In the Bible passage before this morning's, we saw the apostles doing what Jesus told them to do. Healing, preaching, sharing God's way. Zach made the excellent point that God doing his stuff is attractive. There is nothing wrong with that. And in a world where pain and brokenness seem to be all around us everywhere we look, seeing people physically, mentally, emotionally healed, this is attractive. It's good stuff. But it's hardly surprising that those who had influence in this world, those in power, were uneasy about this other group of God followers who were causing a bit of a stir. The people in power didn't like God's power when it showed up. What a sobering reminder to those of us who are in church leadership to be sensitive, to not quench the work of God when he does something. Friends, when you take a risk for Jesus, when you take a step out for him, when you take your orders from Jesus, two things will happen. From time to time, even often, people will be wary, skeptical, even mocking. The systems of this world train us to resist God at work. More than that, the enemy who is also still active and trying to separate us from our Father God. He'll throw stuff at us that makes our work to bring in the kingdom of God into this world as hard as he possibly can. However, and much more importantly, when we take our orders from Jesus and take a risk for him, God will show up. It'll be great. It'll be attractive. His kingdom will break in. People will come to life, be set free, be restored and healed. When God does God stuff and God's people do God stuff, then other people start doing people stuff and the enemy does enemy stuff. So, naturally, in verse 18, the religious leaders throw the apostles in prison, which is challenging, actually. These guys, they took their orders from Jesus, and this is where they ended up. I think it's easy to forget as well that this high priest who organized this imprisonment, this was the apostles' high priest. This was their religious leader. There hadn't yet been the split between the Jewish leaders and the Jewish disciples of Jesus. That did come, but later. For now, the apostles had the extra pain of this opposition being friendly fire. These were meant to be their own people. Their own leaders were clamping down on them for pointing to a Messiah that all of them were hoping for, but the apostles had recognized it as Jesus. I reckon 
I'm sure, that most of us have felt the wound that comes from a friend or a family member that is so much more hurtful because it came from someone you should have been able to trust, who should have known better. I think that sense of confused loyalty, betrayal from their religious leaders who should have celebrated Jesus, but were the very ones to murder him, who should have recognized these miracles as the wonders of God at work, but instead through these Jesus followers in prison. And it would have been one thing to meet opposition from the Roman occupying army, but from their own religious leaders? I think it must have hurt. In that confusion, they stayed focused and they continued to take their orders from Jesus. But then, so hilariously nonchalantly, so casual, we read in verse 19 that during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out. Right? Like, I'm not saying it's worth going to prison for this, but... No? I love that God was able to just brush off what must have felt like such a desperate situation. Dispatch an angel, keep his mission going. Guys, Jesus is stronger than the stuff that comes against us. No matter how low the situation we find ourselves in could get, may I suggest that we take our orders from Jesus? So the angel sets them free. And what are the orders for these apostles? How about you nip home, lads? Make a nice cup of tea. Have some sofa time. No. It was, back you go. Back into the temple. Back amongst the people. Take the message of life to a world that needs to hear it. Man, what a challenge. And the apostles, they obey it. They go right back into the danger zone. They just keep on sharing the words, the works, and the way of Jesus to anyone who's coming to honor God at the temple. Which is pretty astonishing. But more than that, this radical kingdom risk-taking sets up a scene I find brilliantly comical. Picture the important religious authorities. Picture the robes, the pomp, the serious faces. Verse 21 tells us that the high priest and the Sanhedrin council, and the elders of the people of Israel, such an important and esteemed gathering, sending officers to the prison to bring the apostles for their terrifying trial before the important people. And the baffled prison officers returning with a shrug and some unbroken padlocks but some empty cells. And then, then in verse 25, I picture it as some nobody coming to tap them on the shoulder to point the other way. Uh, excuse me, Your Honor. <laughs> you know those people we've lost? The ones we put on trial for preaching in the temple, they're, uh, they're preaching in the temple. <laughs> right? Isn't that great? God's hilarious. God's an absolute grade A comedian. I love it. What are we afraid of, though? God can make a mockery of the most intimidating situations that I can imagine. When we work for Jesus... When we're under his care, we work with his tools, with his power, on his expenses, and under his protection. I don't know about you, but I'm taking my orders from Jesus. So, verse 27. The apostles get put on trial, eventually, after going back in, and they're accused 
in verse 28 of having filled Jerusalem with your teaching. Hashtag life goals. Are you kidding me? What a thing to have said of you. You have filled all of East Fife with the story that God loves people. You have given everyone in this town the chance to meet Jesus who will transform their life. Yeah, good work, guys. Nice one. That'd be my new Twitter bio if that was me. Good job. And the council's message to these apostles is, essentially, stop it. Peter and the apostles, they answer this challenge in verse 29. And this is where I'm getting my main message from, my title for you this morning, my big challenge to us today. Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging on a tree. But I was going to go back there. We must obey God rather than men. Well, of course they must. If God is real, if this stuff is true, if he is almighty, and more than that, he's good, how could it be any other way that we must obey God rather than men? Actually, it's the same answer that they gave this council the last time they were in front of them. Back in Acts chapter 4, trial round one, ding, ding, verses 19 to 20, Peter and John answered them then, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you, saying stop it, rather than to God, you must judge. We cannot help, we cannot but speak of what we've seen and heard. In the potential heartbreak of this situation, on trial in front of what should have been their own people, it should have been their religious authorities, it should have been the people who were helping them get towards God, these guys stayed focused. They took their orders from Jesus. How often do you find yourself confused, torn in loyalties, confused in loyalties to maybe a parent, a friend, a spouse, a boyfriend or a girlfriend, maybe a boss you really look up to, people who think that they know what's best for you, who think that they're living life the right way up and you're living it upside down because you follow Jesus. These guys, amidst all that, they took their orders from Jesus. They've worked out that if they're forced to decide between God and, well, anything, actually, God has to win. It's very simple maths. The apostles have decided to take their orders from Jesus. And Peter says one thing I think is particularly worthy of note here about what this Jesus is like. This Jesus that the council killed, who was raised by God, who was giving God's people forgiveness from all that they'd done wrong, giving them a chance to be with God if only they'd take it. Peter calls this Jesus in verse 31 of Acts chapter 5, he calls this Jesus his leader and saviour. I found this phrasing unusual. Maybe you, like me, are used to hearing of Jesus as Lord and Saviour. So, leader and Saviour just gave me pause for a minute. Well, the word that we translate as leader here, that's archegos, Zach, in the original Greek, means pioneer. It has the sense of, of establishing something, being the one to pioneer it, uh, sometimes even the sense of authoring it. Jesus is not just our boss. He's the pioneer who himself 
went ahead of us. In his life, he set us the example of how to do life. In his suffering and death, he went through that to bring about our right relationship with Father God for us. In his rising from the dead, he not only brought about our new life and new freedom, but he also showed us the model, showed us the picture of our own futures, our own new life with God forever. He's a pioneer leader. You can actually, you can see this word used really powerfully in Hebrews chapter 2, 9 and 10, and in Hebrews 12 verse 2, but we haven't quite got time for that detour this morning, so you can be really holy and make a note of that. Suffice it to say this, this Jesus that we're taking orders from, he's the leader who goes ahead of us, who leads from the front, who took the hit before we were asked to step out, who pushed through so that we could follow in under his shelter. What a leader. What a God. I'm taking my orders from Jesus. Peter finishes his explanation, I'm not sure I'd call it a defense, really, in verse 32, with an approach that I wholeheartedly endorse to all of us here today, too. We are witnesses to these things. When most of us are telling people about what God is like, telling people about what God has done, friends, just tell them what you witness. Most of us don't need to offer skillful arguments to try and persuade people. In fact, I'm convinced that most of us are better not trying to offer skillful arguments. Just tell the person the truth of what you've experienced. It's far more attractive than an argument. It's far more powerful than trying to persuade or arm twist someone intellectually. And it's real. Let's tell people what we've witnessed of God. Tell people what he's like. And then offer people a chance to meet him and find out for themselves. That would be a good place for Peter to finish. But he's got an awesome part two to his closing line. The Holy Spirit is a witness too. The Holy Spirit is a witness who God has given to those who obey him. So what does Peter mean by this? How can God act as a witness to Jesus? What Peter's saying is that when people declare that Jesus really is God, and then they do the works of God, like miraculously healing people, praying in Jesus' name, or commanding people's bodies to be healed using the authority that Jesus gives to his people, the prayer with Jesus in it works. The Holy Spirit of God is well up for backing up the name of Jesus. The claim that Jesus is God is not just backed up by people who experience him. It's backed up by the God who is answering prayers to Jesus. That's pretty much a game set match, right? One other short aside on Peter's last words here. The Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him, I just want to stick a pin in that, because that's really good. Those of you who are in home groups in this church, and you're all welcome to join one, by the way, will be studying together a book by Mike Pilavacci all about living everyday supernatural lives. It's called Everyday Supernatural by Mike Pilavacci and Andy Croft. God's presence right in your everyday. That's what we're journeying through in home groups. Join a home group and join in. It's great fun. I want to put to you two Mike Pilavacci quotes back to back. The power of God is in the presence of God. The power of God is in the presence of God. And God's love language 
is obedience. That is to say, God's power is released when he's present, when he shows up in a situation, which is often, because he's so kind, when we invite him into that situation, make space for him, spend time with him in worship, like we have done earlier and like we will do again later. We, especially those of us who are seeing people healed, are not magicians. No way, no way, no way. We are people filled with the presence of the loving God and the living God and seeking his power to bring in his kingdom here amongst us. The power of God is in the presence of God. Okay, great. So how do we invite his presence? Well, God's love language is obedience. The way that you show love to God, the way that you show him you love him is to obey him. It's not to bring him gifts or to spend time with him, although those things are really important parts of our relationships with him. But the thing that Jesus says about loving him is to obey him. These apostles' miracles that we've been reading about, they come from God's power that came from the presence of God with them. And he was with them because of their loving obedience and God's loving generosity. And when we remember what God is like, that he's the loving father who wants us back, that he's the son who was sent into this muck to die in our place and to let us have life for free, and that he's the Holy Spirit who comes to fill our hearts with joy and peace, and actually that he is a God who is those three persons in one community of love, then, frankly, whatever he wants me to do to further his aims, I'm all in. I'm taking my orders from Jesus, and I suggest you do too. Let's go back to verse 33. How do they respond to this point? Not very well. The council leaders are furious. They miss the opportunity to give God a chance again. And they're on the verge of trying to find another way to kill the apostles. And then a member of the council called Gamaliel steps up to make an excellent point. To paraphrase verses 35 to 37, gentlemen, we've seen movements rise up before and we've seen what happens when their leaders are killed. The movements die too. So take it easy. Don't fret. And if this is just another movement like those, then don't give it the publicity by dragging these men in here. Solid advice. He then goes on to give such a great piece of wisdom in verses 38 to 39. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. I have some advice this morning for those who don't like what they see God doing in East Fife at the moment. Advice for the opposition, if you like. Don't take on God. More than that, just step back and watch. Because if this thing is nonsense, it'll fall over on its own. If this Jesus movement, this Christianity thing is just a fad, it'll come to nothing. People's lives won't really be changed. People won't really meet with a God. And you won't have to waste your energy taking it on. 
And if it's true, if there's something in it, then you don't want to be taking on the God who created the universe and seems powerfully determined that his truth and his kingdom fill the world so that he can get his precious ones back. Nice and easy, really. Just in the interest of fairness, how about some advice for God's people? Some advice for the followers of this God. Got three short points for you. One, obey God, not people. Even important people. Even powerful people. People who could laugh at you. People who could insult you. Maybe even a person you're thinking of right now. People who could make you poor. People who could ruin your reputation. God's truth, God's love, God's mission and your relationship with him is far more important than any of that. And the people who he's given us the mission of introducing to him are far more important than any of that. Two. From verse 28 of Acts chapter 5, fill East Fife with this news. There's a God who loves people and he wants us to get that message out there, to bring them home. Three. We are witnesses, and so is the Holy Spirit. Us speaking up as Jesus' witnesses, that's one thing. But more than that, the Holy Spirit's witness backs us up and is awesome to see. With stories like Gregor's from this morning and loads more that we've had, the Holy Spirit seems to be in for this backing the name of Jesus in East Fife in 2019. As we come into land, I want to note two final things from the passage in verse 41. After the council couldn't resist giving the apostles a good beating anyway, they were set free. They then continue, without ceasing, to tell people about Jesus in public places and in people's homes. The news that God loves us and wants us back is too good to keep to ourselves. The news that the good God is available to meet today isn't for keeping to ourselves. I know this clearly from my own experience. Much more than that, the God who wants his love, wants his love to be known by the whole world, told us to tell everyone too. So, to kind of sum that up a little bit, I'm taking my orders from Jesus.